all marketing comes from an understanding and acceptance of human nature, not to act in spite of, which is what a lot of people do. They say, well, they should want to do this. They should want to buy that. And of course, a lot of dentists would say they should want to take care of their teeth. And I was like, yeah, they should, but they don't. They want a Mercedes. <laughs> they want to go to Las Vegas. You know, uh, they, they want to buy clothes and stuff like that. They want to have fun with their money. And, and so what I saw when I started to coach dentists who were using our service to, so that they could take advantage of the potential patients we were giving them, because they were wasting a lot of them, uh, more than 50% of what we gave them. Welcome. You are listening to the Hero of the Hour podcast, the show dedicated to empowering you to take financial freedom into your own hands. Through expert interviews with decades of experience, this show will give you not only the tactical strategies of what's working in business, but the appropriate mindsets to master your financial future and build generational wealth. Heroes and entrepreneurs operate with a similar anything is possible mentality, and that is exactly what our show is about. Your host is none other than Mark B. Murphy, CEO of Northeast Private Client Group and best-selling author of three books, all dedicated to helping others plan for generational wealth. He and his team are on a mission to share their knowledge and techniques so that others can enjoy a life of financial security and freedom. Get ready to be inspired to create the life of your dreams. Let's go. In today's episode of the Hero of the Hour podcast, Mark chats with Fred Joyle, co-founder of Future Dontics, the parent company of 1-800-Dentists, a business that has generated over a billion dollars of revenue over 25 years. He is the author of Super Bold, Everything is Marketing, a Personal Favorite, and Becoming Remarkable. He's also acted in, written, or directed over 200 television commercials. Something he said in this episode that really stood out to me was that heroes act even when the time is not right or the time is not perfect. Get ready for a phenomenal and eye-opening episode. Hi, I'm Mark B. Murphy, founder and CEO of Northeast Private Client Group and Sequoia Private Client Group, and I'm the author of three books. With my newest being The Ultimate Investment, I want to introduce a good friend of mine, Fred Joyle. I want to thank you for joining my podcast. I believe heroes and entrepreneurs require an anything-is-possible mindset, and you have proven that for the last 40 years. Before I, I ask Fred a question, I also, and I want to get this right, so I want to read it, is Fred is also the author of three best-selling books. The first one is called Becoming Remarkable, Creating a Dental Practice Everyone Talks About. The second book, and I'm not sure if I'm doing it in any particular order, is Everything is Marketing. This is the ultimate strategy for dental practice growth. And then finally, Super Bold, From the Underconfident to Charismatic in 90 Days. And uh, all I can tell you, Fred, is I decided 35 years ago I wanted to be a hero to entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial thinking people. And I've just surrounded myself with people who wanted to be a hero to the same group. And you meet that definition in spades. So I've just start. My first question is, how do you define a hero? And you know, how, how are you a hero to the people in, in your life? A hero is someone to, that I see stepping up when other people step away. 
putting him or herself at risk to make the world a better place, to stand up to a bully, to show his loyalty and support to his town, his state, his country, and his family, and just somebody who who knows that courage isn't the lack of fear, it is overcoming that fear and taking bold action when they are not feeling strong or confident, but they know they need to act. Heroes act. Uh, and they're not always, they don't wait until the decision is perfect. And because there is no such thing as being able to make the perfect decision, they know that. And so with my, the people in my circle, I try to, you know, be the best friend I can be, the, the, the greatest cheerleader, the greatest supporter, and the greatest resource. And they, and they know that I love them and they know that there's nothing they can't ask me and I, that I will find a way to do. And they know I got their back and I got their front. Um, and nobody better mess with them because they've added me to their en- enemy list. So well, I, th- I think you got their it. sides too. So you got, you got, yeah. you got them all yeah. around too. I got, all, I got the flanks. <laughs> I get everything. How, how, who is like, who are some of your heroes? Who's a, who would I say? Who's a hero to you? Uh, you know, a lot of people, when they answer this question, they say their parents and, uh, you know, and, and, and so I, I have two that I, two people that I, that I emulate and admire my mom was, you know, I'm, I'm a student of boldness because I grew up as a very shy person and underconfident and missed a lot of opportunities. My mom was the exemplar of boldness at such a young age because she was, had an infant son, my older brother, who at eight months old contracted polio in the last epidemic. And she was a, a dental assistant. And my dad was a, a, a milkman. And, and they, they didn't know what they were going to do. And there was, this was a massive epidemic. And the things that she did in her early 20s to get him the care he needed, to find the physical therapist that he needed, to find the money to take care of my brother so that he could live a normal, almost non-handicapped life. We never used the word handicapped. In my, I never thought of my brother that way until I was like 15 <laughs> because – she let him do it. The courage it took to let him go out and play every day, knowing he was likely to come in bleeding and she was going to tape him up and send him back outside it just astounds me. She was the first life insurance saleswoman in the state of Rhode Island. She was always pushing the boundaries of what a woman could do. And she, she never stopped herself. She would say, somebody's got to stop me and they better be really good at stopping me because this is my son. This is my career. This is my family. And so I, I look back at her life and she's gone now. And, but I look back at, at the, the courage she had and the determination that she had to give my brother and me just these incredible lives of, of support. And she was the unconditional love mom. She, there was never any condition that she put out there that you were going to lose her love. And I've had friends who've been disowned by their parents because they decided not to go to medical school or something. So uh, when I heard that, I I would be like, wow, that that's nothing my mom would ever say. 
So, you know, you know, so, you know, some of the to me, some of the you know, I've, I've talked about, you know, some of the sports celebrities or some of the famous folks, you know, that are in, 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 the, in the world have made a difference or you know, the cops and firemen and that sort of stuff. But, you know, a, as a personal hero, having done this and, and had employees for and people that worked with us and for us for 37 years, some of the th- some of the people I think are real heroes are I can think about of about three or four single women that worked for us that had a, had children and they drove the same car for 15 years. They didn't take vacations. They didn't buy that pair of shoes or the handbag or the sweater they wanted for themselves. They wanted to make sure that they worked hard enough to raise some beautiful children who just then had an opportunity to go to maybe a state school. And um, and to see that their life dedicated to their children, almost like in a selfless fashion. I mean, to me, that that I, that's, to me, is inspiring. It inspires me when people will do whatever it takes to make other people's lives better. And I can think of so many people, but I'm just thinking from my own personal experience, I can think of some you know, people that, that worked for me over the years that I just, I, I think of them as, as heroes. One of the, anybody over the age of 40 either knows you or knows who you are because you, of all of the national commercials you, you've done over the years for 1-800-DENTIST. I understand uh, somebody, I was reading the other day that 1-800-DENTIST has generated over $1 billion in revenue. This was 40 years ago. How the hell did you figure this out? How did you come up with the idea? Tell, tell, tell us how that, ba- that baby was birthed. Okay, so we generated over a billion dollars in revenue in aggregate over 25 years. My personal coach, uh, which I recommend everybody have a personal coach or three, he just said, so how much, add up all the money that uh, 800 dentists made while you were running. And I went, wow, it's like a billion one. <laughs> and it, it never dawned on me. But, you know, it started very simply. I knew a guy who had this phone number and I was working as a copywriter in an ad agency. And he said, I think you could turn this into a business. And he had a rough idea of it. But I said, well, I'm not working with you because you don't work. Right. He was an idea, man. He was the laziest guy I ever met. But he had this one moment of brilliance getting the phone number. And so another friend of mine, I, I, we just decided we didn't want to work for anybody else. We, we understood that if you worked for somebody else, you made them really successful. And we said, we, we got to give a, a shot. Like, we don't mind being poor. We don't mind being wealthy. Middle class is what scares us. So we, we were young and naive enough to think we could pull it off. And we just started in L.A. We found 18 dentists to go along with it. This was when advertising was really just starting in the professions. And uh, we got massive amount of rejection. But, you know, we started running radio ads uh, with 18 dentists as members. And we got 50 phone calls the first day in L.A. And we had this like, wow, like there's a demand for this because you never know till you launch if the marketplace cares. And so we just, we just, every penny we got, we spent on advertising and then lived off of the money that came in from the next month. And then, you know, which was nothing. We took very little out of the business and we, we worked out of 200 square feet for two years. And, but, but that was the incubation of the business because Gary and I heard every conversation and I, I'll never forget at one point, he's, he's got a sales guy that he's trained who's next to him on the phone. And after the guy hangs up, something happened in the call and and it ended fairly quickly. And Gary leans back and looks at him and says, never say that again. 
And it was just, we, we, we got to refine every aspect of the business. We were answering incoming calls. We were doing sales calls. We were doing customer service calls. I was driving to pick up checks from dentists because we needed the money in the bank that day to pay for the media or they were going to turn us off. So, and then it got, it just got big. All of a sudden when we went to TV is when it blew up and we figured out a way to make a TV spot really inexpensively, but I knew how to hone ad messages. That was my life skill at that point was writing effective advertising and this spot, we ran one spot for a year and it was just a banger. It just, we, we tripled the business from a hundred to 300 doctors in one year and leapt into profit. And then it was ad cities, ad doctors, you know, add a couple of licensees and stuff. And, and away we went, uh, and we ran the model out. I mean, it, at a certain point, Google disintermediated the model and it, it shrank to the point where the business wasn't worth that much, but it was a hell of a run. It's by the way, I could just see the entrepreneurial energy you had. It sounds, was, was that like among the most fun times of your life building that thing? When it starts to go, and you build a team. Now, Gary and I really cared about making it a great place to work. So we we woke up every day eager to get in that office and, and make something else happen. And, and we just created this fabulous work environment. But and to see people excited to go to work and, and reinventing every aspect, even the people in the call center. I mean, just to give you the, the long-term perspective on the culture we created, my last month at work, we would celebrate birthdays and uh, uh, anniversaries of employees uh, every month. And so my last day, technically, my last you know anniversary day that we celebrated there, I celebrated three 25-year employees in the same month. So these people had given me their entire adult lives. And I, I, was, I, I was so humbled and grateful for that because they were the ones that defended the culture. I could only set it up and, and, and say what it was and support it. But in the end, it's, it's them doing it. And that was the kind of place we had. And it was, it was exciting right to the end. You know, one of the things, I, I don't know if I coined the phrase or I heard somebody else say it, but... I have been to dozens and dozens of dental meetings, symposiums, conferences over the last decade or more, and uh, uh, you are clearly a dental liberty. You know, you are like uh, you are like John Gotti going into Rayo's or uh, the Pope going into St. Patrick's Cathedral when you come there. I know you're a pretty humble guy. How does that uh, How does that make you feel when you when you when you get mobbed at a at a conference like that? You know what happens? That's the most gratifying thing is is a dentist I've never met comes up to me and says, hi, Fred. Now, I don't know. He says, you know, I've, I've never been a client of yours, but I read Becoming Remarkable, your second book. And I made my whole team read it. And he said, and we were, we were hanging by our fingernails. This was in like, you know, let's say it was 2008, 2009, when there was a real struggle. And he said, I was up 20% the first year and 50% the next year because I just did everything you said to do in the book. And I just wanted to thank you. That means everything to me because I, I, what did I, I made nothing. I probably somebody gave him the book, 
but I, I wasn't making money on books anyway. We just wanted them out there to help people. But to know that somebody you didn't even know was that impacted by something you created, that's the, the most gratifying thing to me. I did try to make him buy me dinner, but he, he was gone. <laughs> it's just a powerful platform that you have. And it's uh, I've seen the good that you've done for people and the impact you've made on their lives. And uh, I, I know you've been very successful, but I but I know the gift is in the impact that you make on people's lives, and and you've made a, a great impact. You know, one of the things, one of the play, one of the many ways you've impacted my life is, and I'll, I'll use the financial advisory vernacular. I'll talk to people that say, "I'm a wealth manager. I'm a, an estate planner. I'm a retirement specialist. I'm a, a financial planner. I'm a you know they they have a whole list of things that they do." And having you know gotten to know you and has and our friendship, what's come out of that for me is it's clear that no matter how good you are at those core competencies, that first beyond everything, you've got to be a marketing company first. Marketing is everything is your mantra, and we've made it our mantra in our business. How did you discover that? And 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 what can you share with our viewers about why why I, why that's so powerful? Because it's it's impacted my life in a in an exponential way. It comes from a, all marketing comes from an understanding and acceptance of human nature, not to act in spite of, which is what a lot of people do. They say, well, they should want to do this. They should want to buy that. And of course, a lot of dentists would say they should want to take care of their teeth. And I was like, yeah, they should, but they don't. They want a Mercedes. <laughs> they want to go to Las Vegas. You know, uh, they, they want to buy clothes and stuff like that. They want to have fun with their money. And and so what I saw when I started to coach dentists who were using our service to, so that they could take advantage of the potential patients we were giving them, because they were wasting a lot of them, uh, more than 50% of what we gave them. And it was because as soon as we did the handoff, that's when things would start to fall apart. And And I saw in dental practices that they didn't understand that Everything that they did either increased or decreased case acceptance. Nothing was neutral. And you can apply that sentence to whatever your business is. Everything you're doing is going to increase the possibility of them buying from you or continuing to work with you or decrease that. Nothing is neutral. Nothing you say, nothing you wear, nothing, the color of the walls of your office, the, the way you answer the phone, the way you say goodbye, the, 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 the end of your email. If, if, you know, I've had to teach myself not to end emails so quickly with just, oh, I just got it out. Instead, just say, by the way, I hope this is going to work for you. And I appreciate the time you're spending to learn how to use it. Uh, call me whenever you want. Warmest regards, Fred. It's about eight seconds, right, to do that, and 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 we don't do it because we're like, oh, we're you know, like we're, we're the instant gratification is too slow generation, right, or civilization at this point. And so, all, to understand that everything is affecting their emotional connection to you or their emotional disconnection from you. And we will not buy from people we don't like. We will not invest with people we don't like. We will not let somebody we don't trust do our accounting or our legal work or, or our financial management. So 
you know, everybody wants to say it's about a relationship, but it's it's about understanding that trust is not built on a factual basis. It's a series of perceptions, some of them almost irrational, but they happen. You use somebody's name that begins a connection with them. You remember their name and and anything you remember about them. Suddenly you go like, I just uh, was talking to a, a dentist friend of mine and, and I know that something really difficult that happened with this child about a month earlier. And before I started the whole business conversation, I said, you know, what's going on with Sandra? How, how is she? That changes everything in the rest of the conversation. This, if this guy has a business problem with me, he's not going to quit or cancel. He's going to call me. Think of the difference that makes because you don't want anybody leaving you for the wrong reason. When I, when I hear you speak, I, 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 what's ringing to me is the saying, a compelling offer is, is, much, more, is much better than a convincing argument. You know, people always want like a, a quick fix. They want bullet points. They want something. So you've got four. De- I think in the world, I wake up every day and this is what I think. Every day I'm thinking about as a finan- owning a financial services firm is that there are four financial services firms lined up one after the other, after the other, after the other. Why are they picking me rather than the other three? If you had to, if you have to give two or three bullet points, why would they pick that dental office over the other three dental offices? What would you tell them? What they probably ask you? You've probably been asked that question ten thousand times. Yeah, I would say they need to believe that you care about them more than money, and that has to be embedded in how you talk to them and how you present to them and how everybody in the office talks to them. And and then step two is. You know, and and you think about whatever business you're in, if they have apprehension, you have to alleviate that apprehension, not by saying, don't worry, everything's going to be all right, but by indicating that it's a comfortable place, that it is safe. And, you know, in the financial services, they they have to feel safe with giving you their money with with they've heard the stories of people having business managers taking all of their money uh so that that feeling that that you're giving them that you that their money's not important their what their, the money you make from them is not important what's important is that they get what they hope to get from you and it's safe and then it's and then it's that extra moment you know the the i always love this story about the 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 surgeons who who get sued the least spend an average of five minutes longer talking to a patient five minutes that by the way that's i believe i believe that to be true i believe that in every industry that's a that is a that, that makes perfect sense to me seeing how litigious the society is i think that's a i think that's apropos in every Every business that's there. Yeah, and, and interestingly, the, the ones that you would consider the most skilled and most highly trained are the ones that get sued the most because they go, we're just going to do this. I'm the best guy there is to do this. And, you know, I, I don't have time for your questions. Anything goes wrong or even seems to have gone wrong that it was that was likely to go wrong because of the patient's health. They're going to sue. You know, we've uh, it, we, it, we said that uh, uh, 1-800 did, dentist did a billion one in revenue. I I think I I know the cat's out of the bag uh, about social smiles. 
I think that could do 10 billion in one uh, revenue. Why don't you tell people what Social Smiles is and how excited you are to lead that effort? Yeah, well, as Al Pacino said, just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back into <laughs> dentistry because uh, I've been I've been having fun promoting Super Bold as a book and and teaching people to be bolder and 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 th- to realize that it's a it's it's a superpower and that you can learn it. But then uh, this opportunity to seize on this incredibly valuable asset that every business has, which is how your best customers feel about you. And in this case, in my category, how your best patients feel about you, how you amplify that has been really difficult. And the number one marketing tool that has ever been created is the video testimonial, the customer or patient testimonial. 30 seconds, unedited, unproduced, saying how they feel about being uh, in your practice and being taken care of by you. And every business is trying to get these because nothing is more believable. Nothing is more persuasive than that. You could spend a $100 million in advertising and $10,000 of video testimonials would do more. Have you thought about how impactful that could be in you know, from a guy who's a financial guy and thinks of percentages and numbers, if you had a if you had a practice doing a dollar of revenue, that may be five hundred thousand, a million, ten million, uh, fifty million of revenue, whatever the the number is. How optimistic are you are that that just moves the needle by? Is it, it will you think it's going to be revolutionary in terms of moving the needle in terms of profitability? I know I know you do. You wouldn't have participated. Have you thought about what kind of impact that would be? Well, that, the, it streamlines the process of gathering as many of these as possible and then maximizing the use of them by, by letting you put them, easily getting them on your website in several places, uh, getting them on your social media, getting them on your YouTube channel. So, and this is all free. <laughs> so, and so you can, you know, I know doctors who are spending $100,000 a year in marketing their practice. Okay. You could cut that in half and increase your production because the video testimonials are attracting patients like your patients. So that's, so you're building a practice of like-minded people who take care of their teeth, who already, and again, goes back to everything is marketing and trust. Where does trust come from? Somebody else saying, you can trust this guy. That's what a video test, and that's the essence of what it gets across. And so Social Smiles is going to make it, it's going to blow up because everybody understands how valuable it is. And once we start to demonstrate the economic impact of doing this, then then it's going to be, my biggest problem is going to be, uh, accelerated growth and and trying to keep up with it. I am really excited about it. I think it's a I think it's a, it's a it's a cure a game changer for for sure. Have you noticed that life is getting more and more expensive? From grocery prices to real estate values, everywhere you turn, prices seem to be skyrocketing. Well, Mark has dedicated decades of his career and life to serving entrepreneurs and professionals to build real wealth, and in most cases, multi-generational wealth. The reality is, we all have to navigate turbulent times in this economy. But the difference will be for those that have a roadmap and a customized plan for building wealth. 
That's why, as a listener to this podcast, we are so excited to share with you first access to Mark's newest book, The Ultimate Investment, a roadmap to grow your business and build multi-generational wealth. When you access this book, you'll discover how to know when you're working a job instead of a business. That hard work isn't all about hours put in. This will make you more productive. Why you need to live with your back against a wall. How to surround yourself with the right people who support your vision. And so much more. Go to www.markbmurphy.com forward slash book to get access now. Once again, go to www.markbmurphy.com forward slash book. And now, back to the show. We talked about your book, the marketing. Marketing is everything. It sounds like everybody wants to see themselves as bold. Bold is a superpower. How does that relate to an average person? How, what are they supposed to take away from that? You're clearly bold. How, how, how are you helping them to become bold? I'm, I'm, I teach a systematic way that anyone can build their, their boldness and their confidence uh, gradually, but in a much more accelerated way way than they ever imagined. And all it does is it, it gives you the ability to not hesitate when it matters because you've done the exercise, you've built your boldness muscle when it doesn't matter as much with a bunch of exercises that I teach you, because there will be times in your life where you will need to step up and you won't necessarily have the confidence, but you will be able to say, I know how to step up. I know how to speak up. Whether it's uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna quit this job and start a business. Uh, I, I am I am gonna you know say to my spouse, look, we're either gonna work on this marriage or we're gonna end it. But we're not gonna keep doing what we're doing now because so how many people stay in a bad relationship because they don't want to speak up. And what happens is they stay in a bad relationship and and they get older <laughs> and, you know, 10 years goes by. No, I'm not. I, but I, I say be bold enough to work on it. Be bold enough to say, this is what I need in the relationship. How can I get it? And how can I give you what you need? Because we're, we're, we're struggling here, but we're not speaking up. Or, you know, another there'll be another time where in your life, you, you know, a good friend passes away or a parent passes away. And I've met so many people like this who say, like, I'm, 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 I don't like speaking in front of people. I, and, you know, so I'm not going to give a eulogy. And I say, you're going to get one chance to do this, to get up in front of all these people who love your dad and tell them how much of a difference that person, how much you love them and the impact they've had on you. It's not a performance. It is get up there and you got to be able to get up there and speak from the heart because that window is going to close and it's never going to open again. And you, it will, you will carry that regret the rest of your life. It, and it's amazing how many people many, live with regret. Yeah. Yeah. They, well, regret they, stack them up. they stack them up. And if, if, if they've surveyed people on their deathbed, number one thing they said is I worked too hard. Number two thing is they said, there's so many things I should have done and said and tried that I didn't do. And they had zero regrets over the things that they failed at or they bungled or that didn't go right. Nothing. They didn't care about those. They cared about the things they didn't do. They didn't, 
they didn't fix their relationship with their brother and they hadn't talked to him for 10 years and now they were dying. And they realized how trivial the argument was. And so I'm teaching boldness to people so they don't stack regrets because I, I, I stacked enough myself. I, I want you to be able to, to not just seize the day, seize the moment. When it you know, presents I, you know, itself, I, you know, I, I know one of you know when I hear you talk. Also, I know you're uh, uh, friends with Richard Branson, and I know he has that expression where he talks about that. You know, I don't have a business life and a personal life; I have a life. And it sounds like to me that all the work that, and all the work you do and all the teaching you do is about. It's not about business; it's about people having the best life possible. That's that just that just emanates from everything that you say. If you're lucky enough, you you've spent money on stuff. And, and bought the stuff you thought you wanted and you realize it only made you about 3% happier. <laughs> and uh, then you start to care about impact and, and connection and, and, and elevating other people, lifting them up, giving them that, you know, whether it's a book that helps them or, or a kind word or, or a bit of support or, or, or some gratitude to them or some, some, hard-earned wisdom that I can pass on because I, I mean, I coach entrepreneurs all the time because I, I was not good with money. You know, I, I didn't grow up. We didn't know anything about money. I wish I knew you 30 years ago because I'd, I'd have a lot more money uh, well invested. But I, I, I always, I believed I, uh, I had all my eggs in one basket. I believed that 800 dentists was going to be my economic freedom. So I just, I just spent everything I made uh, and had very little in reserve and then managed to give a good percentage of that in divorce to somebody else. And I, and I just wasn't prepared for it. And then by the end, 800 dentists wasn't worth that much. And so I had not diversified. And, I, and, and my partner and I, we never built a war chest or anything. We just wanted to pay as little as tax as, as, as possible. So we paid ourselves a lot, and but we also, you know, we I had a great lifestyle. But to really understand the importance of financial management and and find a way to strip away your emotional issues with money, and I think you help people with that a lot uh, because it, there, money is is not a, a, a you know a rational thing for most people. Uh, they have all these areas where they're very rational. And then, you know, other areas where they go, oh, I really want that. And boom, they'll spend two grand. But they, they'll, they'll go to Dunkin' Donuts instead of Starbucks because it saves them a buck. And you say, but you just blew two grand on this thing, <laughs> right? The, you know how many Starbucks that is? You, you talk about regrets in business or things you've learned over time with businesses. You would sit with people who don't have really great values around money. And, and, they'd, and they'd have all kinds of, let's say, credit card debt or other things like this. And what you do is you'd show them how to double their income or triple their income and grow their business. And what you were doing is you weren't doubling or tripling their problems. You were like 10 or 20 Xing the problems because now they just had bad habits around even more money. <laughs> you know, it would be like giving a, <laughs> you know, it would be like giving somebody that has a, 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 a let's call it a, a, a drug habit with marijuana, giving them heroin, you know, you know, or something. Maybe it's a bad analogy, but I, I think you get the point that I'm trying to make. And that, so I almost feel like some of those people by helping them grow their business. We actually hurt them before they had really core values around money. Was it, was, was a different, how did a, 
How did a nice boy from Rhode Island wind up in Southern California? Uh, I grew up in a very, very small town, and I, my primary emotion uh, until I was about 15 was boredom. Uh, <laughs> and, and, I, and I got to New York for the first time, and I, and I realized I'm a city boy. Right. I, that the energy of that city, just I was I, exuberant every minute I was there. And then I drove a friend to California and we stayed in Venice Beach for two weeks. And I said, oh, big city and good weather. This is where I'm going to be. And so I went back, finished college and, and moved out to California. And uh, it's been it's been great to me. Uh, it's you know, I have a great circle of friends I've, I've had. Great, you know, and that's where I discovered advertising. I mean, and the best thing that can happen to you is is you find that thing you get excited about doing, and that hadn't happened to me till I walked into an ad agency, and I said, "Wow, I could do this. I could do this forever," and and everything flowed from that. Everything flowed from actually one mentor, and this is the power of mentors as well, because sometimes a mentor mentors you on a regular basis and gives you strong insight into where you're going off the rail sometimes. And sometimes they just give you one piece of advice. And this was the general manager at an ad agency. And he said, because uh, a friend of mine had been, been working there and I've got to meet him. And I said, I want a job here. And he said, well, I'm not going to give you a job because you don't know how to write advertising. He said, but there's a night school where creative directors are teaching advertising. You do that for six months. You'll learn how to write advertising. And and it was a it was a window of time when that happened, right? Where these guys were teaching this. It did, the school only lasted like four or five years. Six months later, I get my first job in one interview. I went on one job interview and got the job because I had learned how to write advertising. And everything in my business life has fro flowed from that education to be able to understand how to communicate with a purpose. And I've just gotten better and better and better at it over the year. Were you like the uh, the the guy who bought Gillette, the company, meaning you're not a dentist, but you owned a dental practice for many years? That uh, that that must have been like that must have been very powerful because at that time it, there was no corporate dentistry, there was no non dentists owning dental practices when you did it. You were always ahead of your time. What what did you learn from that? And how did that help you make better get you better at? Uh, how did it make one hitter dentist dentist better, and how did it make all the other companies you uh, worked with and for better? It, I, I think what happens to a lot of people is when they write advertising, they're they either want to be super factual or they want to be super clever and entertaining. And I knew from the bunch of jobs that I had before I went into advertising that what the owners cared about was like, does this sell my stuff? <laughs> do I do I get more sales out of this stuff? I don't care how clever it is. And so I learned not to write dry factual stuff. And I learned not to get seduced by being creative. I said, this has to work. And the beauty of 800 Dennis was if I made a great commercial, the phone rang more. And if I somehow was off the mark, it didn't, or people started saying stuff on the, uh, and I could listen to the calls and say, why the heck are they all asking for a free dentist uh, all of a sudden? And then I would watch the video again of, of the, of the commercial and I would go, oh, oh, 
I see where they're getting it. I just hadn't thought through how it could be interpreted. So you pull the spot. How many, how many commercials but, did you shoot? And what was your favorite one? My favorite one was, uh, you know, I, we shot like 200. And my, we did a series uh, where it was me and this woman in an elevator. And she was just this brilliant improv actress. And it was basically every time I got in the elevator, I would run into her and she would give me, she would recognize me as the 800 dentist guy. And then she would give me one more reason why she wasn't going to the dentist. And I would explain to her why she probably should. And, 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 and it was, we did like eight of them and they were just, they worked so well. And people talked about them for years and we made funny versions of, because we'd shoot the straight 30 second spot and then we'd shoot an improv version where she would go off on some craziness and they all ended up on YouTube because they were gold. They were just crazy fun. And I was her straight man, you know, uh, to, to all of, to all of this fun stuff. Um, but they just worked because everybody identified with her because she always gave up. Uh, she, she would say like, I'm not going to a dentist until it hurts. I mean, at least more than it does right now. (laughs) (laughs) I remember some of those. Those were gold. They were brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant. uh, And and people can find those on YouTube. Yep. Oh, that's, you you know, another thing I also uh, notice about you is you've always been a warrior. Uh, You know, you're still a warrior. Always, even during pandemic, when the whole world shut down, you were still traveling, getting on planes, doing things. You ever get tired of it is it or just uh do you love it just who you are what do you what do you do how, how does the travel get to you after all these years i have been blessed with a, a substantial amount of energy uh and very late in life acquired patience to go with it and so i, I you know i am undaunted by delays and and travel and stuff like that everywhere i go because i've done this so long I've got friends in that town. And so it's all, it is all life. It is business and pleasure mixed together. And I'm making new friends and, and I'm, and I'm finding people who, who give me something, you know, they have a gift of, of life. I I just met this woman who she's at 32. She's a sales coach to businesses and she doesn't live anywhere. She has no home. She she lives in Dubai for a couple months. Then she lives in Bose, Montana for a couple months. Then she goes to Hawaii for three weeks. She she literally lives out of a suitcase all the time. And, and she's, I'm so impressed with how she's just designed her life the way she wants. And so I'm always I'm inspired by the the people I meet everywhere. So it it sends me on the road. I mean, you and I go to these meetings all the time, and and there are people that I've had a I only see them once or twice a year, but I get to to reconnect with them, and it, and it feeds me. Uh, I, I again boredom, big problem for me. Right, so uh, I'm always treating it with excitement and adventure. And people, I, I've met so many amazing people. I've met Branson. I played chess with Richard Branson. Uh, he's, he is one of my heroes. I admire him more than almost anybody else in the world. Um, and I've, I've been blessed with this. And I, I want to live indefinitely. I want to do everything I can to live 
hundred plus more years and see what what's next. Uh, and I think that's that's what keeps me going. You, you know, Zoom has become. You know, you talk about business and what's effective. That you know, you said sells more product. You were talking about as advertising, and and I was concerned that Zoom, which I think is not a communication device, it's a transportation device, and it's allowed us that I, I didn't think I didn't know if we could be effective doing business on Zoom, and that I, I'm I'm past that. It's it's very very effective, and I enjoy it. But I have to tell you, there is nothing like a live person and a live audience. You can't go out to dinner over Zoom. You can't, you can't do, you know, you can't do so many things over. You can't touch somebody. You can't look in their eye. You, there's just you miss that piece. And although you don't need to be face to face to do business, I just hope our world doesn't become a place where it's all impersonal like that because people miss the beauty of the human interaction. And you know, and so I I uh I, I there's just you know as I said there're just just things that and things that magic happens that cannot happen over Zoom or or certainly over a conference call, and um, all I can tell you, Fred, is that uh, we have had a lot of time, a lot of fun times uh, from New York to many other cities around the country, and I just hope that uh, you continue to stay in my life, and I hope you uh, continue to change the lives of all the people you touch because you do, and uh, thank you for being one of my heroes, and thank you for coming. Thank uh, you. Thank you for giving me this time today, and and I'm uh, I'm sure our paths will will cross in the in the next couple of days, or certainly the next couple of weeks. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Bye bye. I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Hero of the Hour podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share the podcast episode with them. You can catch the show notes for this episode and more at www.markbmurphy.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to check out the other great books and resources on the website while you're there. Once again, it's www.markbmurphy.com forward slash podcast. All links can be found in the description below. We look forward to serving you on the next episode. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS or Guardian, and opinions stated are their own. Registered Representative and Financial Advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. OSJ, 200 Broad Hollow Road, Suite 405, Melville, New York, 11747, 631-589-5400. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Northeast Private Client Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California Insurance License Number 0B36048. Arkansas Insurance License Number 741545. Expiration and submission numbers located in the show notes.